Well, hello and welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, this is a uh, summer supplemental show uh, that it was uh, David's idea to do a show on faith there. Um, so, so yeah, we're we're going to be coming in and giving you guys a bit of a bonus here. This isn't going to be our normal style, uh, you know, sort of we each have our own side and, and it's an adversarial, uh, you know, a, a debate format. This is more of a collaborative format, or that at least that's what we're going to be aiming for, right, David? We are going to be aiming for it, but I am a terrible aim. <laughs> and and I just realized, yeah, just uh, bad for me. I'm I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. And I am David, representing the skeptic or correct side. <laughs> it starts already. Um, um, so so yeah. Um, just so this is going to be a bit different. We're not going to give our intros or anything like that. It's just going to be maybe like a. a, a brief statement and then we're going to get straight into the discussion after a brief statement on both sides but um for those of you interested in any changes for season two um in my blog uh so one one of the ideas that i had is that um if if we want we can put in if there are any claims that we're making in uh in a given show or just statements of beliefs or opinions and any any uh presuppositions that we're based on so if you guys check out the blog where me and David actually sort of write out our thoughts, I've included a section where I've got one claim, one statement of belief uh, or opinion, and one presupposition. So you can see, get a glimpse of, of what we're going to be trying to do in season two to help avoid talking past each other, that sort of thing. So, And you'll find that on mine as well, even though as we do this recording right now, <laughs> that is not the case, and Dale doesn't actually have that in front of him, but I will also be uh, doing the same thing. Gotcha. Perfect. Um, okay, so so yeah, let's let's get into it, um, into this discussion. So, oh, go ahead. Allow me, allow me to introduce the topic, because it was something that I felt uh, kind of passionate about. Um, a couple of weeks ago on Unbelievable, there was a discussion between Brian Blaze and um, some other dude. Do you remember his name? Uh, Travis. Uh... Travis, dude. So, um, Blaze and Travis, they talked about um, the definition of faith and what people mean when they use it, what people should mean, should there be maybe a, a different definition. I thought the show uh, Tra was good, Travis I... Dickinson, just so people... Dickinson, yeah. okay. Um, I thought that the conversation missed the mark a little bit, though, and um, that is not to say that the participants didn't do a good job. Uh, it's just that it's such a big issue, it's, it's possible to miss very important concepts, you know, talking for an hour on the subject, and I don't, I don't think that they ended up with any type of uh, agreement or consensus and uh, I'm not even sure that that was the goal of the podcast. Uh, so I, I thought it might be interesting to see if instead of talking past each other, uh, two people who have taken this subject uh, very seriously and studied it for a while, uh, wonder if it's possible to come to some consensus. And frankly, this conversation could have been held between two Christians mm -hmm. uh, with similar results, uh, frankly, because there, there's so much divergence even b between Christians as a skeptic I can tell you I I talk to one Christian and they uh, talk about their faith and I talk to another Christian they talk about faith and it's, it's two entirely different concepts even talking to the same person for more than five minutes I get two or three different uh, concepts of faith and so it's very confusing um, 
whenever there's a, a discussion about it uh, in a like a discussion board, uh, you know, skeptics are are have an idea of faith, and Christians are saying, "Well, you're just straw manning. Uh, that's not what we mean by faith." And so we try to have them define it, and then so we use that, and then another Christian comes along and says, "Oh no, you're just straw manning. That's what not what we mean by faith." And so it's very difficult to have a productive uh, conversation that way. And faith is so central to the Christian claim um, that if we're going to have these discussions at all, I thought that this would be a good um, precursor to season two uh, to see if at least Dale and I can't stamp out uh, some kind of definitional detente uh, when it comes to faith. Uh, And so... Since I'm talking, I'll just go ahead and give you my um, uh, I, opening presupposition. Can, can yeah, I, go ahead. One quick question before you before you do that. Um, in your encounter um, encounters with with Christians giving these differing uh, definitions of what it means to have faith, uh, do you know how many like putting them into sort of general categories? Um, how many have you come across? Is it like five or ten or I don't I don't know if you've kept track or anything, but just as a general guess. Um, Not formally, but I included four in this write-up. And is that ex- and I, ex- inclusive of oh everything? No, or, okay. no, no, no. It's, <laughs> it was 1,300 words, and I did four. Uh, I could have done a book <laughs> and, okay. and done a lot more. Uh, just as an example, this write-up that I did for our notes and the write-up that I did uh, posting on unbelievable uh, discussion board so you might go back and read that they're two different write-ups I, I I sat down and wrote it twice and they're different there are some different um, ideas of faith in each one of these and then I think the the write-up you did for this uh, has some other ideas of faith too and I, I uh, so yeah there's if I had to guess I would say uh, of of the definitions that people f- fairly commonly use and would recognize as a faith definition, uh, so maybe seven to ten. Okay, okay, that's workable then. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so, sorry to interrupt your. Yeah, thing. I just no, was that's that's fine. So uh, part of part of my um, presuppositions that uh, uh, that I, I don't actually think is presuppositional. I think it's fact, but uh, is that there are multiple definitions of the word. Uh, so presuppositionally, I would say that that is a problem, that there are multiple definitions of the word. And uh, it is hard to know what a person means when they use faith. So um, the word love has a, a number of meanings. But we can generally contextually know what we mean by love. So if I said, Dale, I love you, um, you would not be confused and think that I am making a uh, statement of romantic intent. You you would you would know uh, that I meant I, something. I'm canceling the chocolates and flowers then. Jeez. <laughs> no, no, Dale, I love you. Oh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> right. So, for the most part, we understand that that's that's a, a platonic mm-hmm. platonic statement. Um, we can we can kind of figure out what a person means. Now, sometimes we're wrong. But it's, it's somewhat manageable because of all of the ink in poetry uh, in literature spilled on uh, defining the word, you know, we have a, a pretty good contextual understanding of it. Faith is not that word. 
Faith has all of these meanings, but we do not have a good contextual understanding of it. Um, and so it is very possible, in fact, more than possible, it happens most of the time that when a Christian skeptic are talking about faith, uh, and a Christian uses the word faith, the skeptic gets it wrong. They don't know what the person means, or they say what they think the person means based on the context, and the person will say, no, that's not what I meant. So uh, it is a problem. So that's part of my presuppositions there. Skeptics have asked Christians many times, look, it, can you use a different word to substitute it? Because uh, faith is, is kind of a poison word, and we think it's loaded. And maybe you're loading it on purpose, maybe you're loading it by accident, but we think that the word is loaded. And it's um, it's harmful to conversation, and so can you swap that out for something else? And Christians seem to have uh, some reasons that they refuse to do that. And so I, I ultimately think, my conclusion is, if we can't get rid of the word and start using other words that make uh, what we mean clear, then we're never going to clear it up. And I think that, uh, ultimately, I think Christians would rather have the issue than have a settlement. And so that's that's not good. So those are those are kind of some of my presuppositions and where I'll be going throughout this. Dale? Okay. Um, so yeah, I, uh, so in the first first place, as a Christian, I I don't like there. It's good to learn as much truth as possible. So it, I want to come to a clear definition, and I think that Christians should want to do that. They shouldn't want to muddy the waters out of fear of being shown to be false or something like that so yeah I, I think this is a good conversation I'm, I'm gonna try my best to be as clear as I can um, as to what I think faith means in a Christian context so what I did for, for my claim I made a minimalist claim and I, I tried to say minimally based on the Protestant Bible um, that's my presupposition as you'll see in the, the blog there but Based on the Protestant Bible, I think that we can say, at least minimally, when Christians use the word faith um, in their English Bibles, it, it's talking about, um, look, there's a trust or there's an assurance um, or a confidence. And the first thing we have to do is look at what the actual words themselves in Hebrew and Greek actually mean. And um, because we're only doing a couple minutes, I won't go into that, but check out the blogs. I do give the Hebrew word for faith and uh, pistis in, in Greek. Um, and this, the common thing is, look, it, it means there's a, a steadfastness or there's an established confidence or trust, uh, which is my, you know, one of the definitions that Christians use a lot. And so let, let me just interrupt you just a second. Sure. Let me, let me just interrupt for clarification. How many uh, Hebrew and Greek and Latin words did you come up with? Um, uh, from the Bible. Yep. So the Hebrew word that I was using in my blog was emunwana. I don't know how to say it, but um, that that's the Hebrew word that's translated. It's usually translated uh, faithfulness. So it, it's in the context of of persons. Moses was emunwana. He, he was faithful to God in obeying God. Or Abraham was faithful. Um, he was emunwana. So so that's sort of the the primary context for most of this particular word's use in the Old Testament. Hey, does that make sense? 
Okay, uh, we we might get into that more. I just wanted I just wanted a clarification. Um, I know that pistis is another uh, word that you'll find in the New Testament. Did you find some other words though that you matched up? It, it the word faith may not have been used, but maybe other words or uh, maybe yeah. Um, I did, yeah. So, for instance, if if it says and and you know he he believed uh, or you know or he you know confidently confidently followed or whatever the word faith it may not have been translated faith but the Bible is still talking about the same thing and I bet those are different words uh, as well that it uses to to describe it. Believe, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they they would be different words um, that are used. I I didn't look up. Uh, the Greek word for believe, uh, unfortunately, but do, do you know uh, from your studies as a preacher, like what is the word for belief? And not off, the, not off the top of my head, but there, there. <laughs> I, well, I, yeah, I'll, I yeah, can look not it off up the top of my head, but there, there are a number of words used throughout the Old and New Testament to describe the concepts that we're going to be talking about. So it's not always translated faith. And so if you just do a word lookup for faith, you're not going to get it all. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a fair point. So yeah, that's fine. This is just take it as this is a start. And this is the usual world word that is in the Greek manuscripts. When, When you see the word faith in your English Bible, this is the word that's used in the Greek for for the most part, at, at the very least. How about how about that? We can agree on that much, right? Sure. Okay. Okay. And we also agree that, yeah, may, maybe we should look up other associated words like believe or or other stuff that's related. So okay. Um. So yeah, that basically for for me, just to sum sum up in two minutes here, I think there are th- when I use the word faith, I have three aspects in mind. So that. First of all, there's a trust or an assurance or confidence. Um, and again, this can be to varying degrees, which obviously the Bible doesn't think in terms of degrees explicitly. They didn't have probability calculus and that sort of thing. But um, it, it's a, a trust or an assurance in the person, you know, like you trust your wife um, or something like that. You have to trust in God and, and or Jesus in their character and overall goodness. Um you know, that he'll fulfill your hope for redemption and salvation. Secondly, there's an entailed uh, confidence or assurance in the intellectual propositions that are associated with that. Um, Obviously, to have confidence in Jesus and Jews, this is the way ancient Jews thought about salvation history, that their confidence was based on God's prior actions. Um, So in a Christian context, that's going to be Jesus died and rose from the dead for me. This is what atoned for my sins he conquered death by rising from the dead and he gives me a promise that he will forgive me of my sins if i place my faith in him and repent and that sort of thing so there there is an intellectual assent to propositions jesus died for my sin um i would also add in from romans 10 jesus divine nature um and three there's there's also so this is what david will call an action based faith. So I, I don't know if it the action part is a definition part of the definition of faith proper or if it's really just a qualifier on the type of faith uh, that you're exercising. But um, yeah, you, there's also have ha, you have to obey. There has to be a commitment and intention to obey God according uh, to that trust. You, you trust that he is 
uh, in his character and to fulfill his promises um, that he's going to do. So you you do what he tells you to do. You obey his commands. So minimally, those are the three aspects that I think can be proven in the Bible. Um, I also wrote a, a little bit about doubt. Um, and I, I think that the Bible allows for doubts. Um, and it's the story, again, that I base this on primarily is... Um, here, you know, someone goes up to Jesus for to heal their child, and Jesus says they're healed. You can trust. Um, and he says, "Okay, Lord, I I believe, but help me with my unbelief." The unbelief part is is the doubts. There's this doubting of something, and um, Jesus doesn't say, "I'll get." So this is where I would say the Bible could support the notion of probability, even though it doesn't speak of those concepts or something like that it's possible to put aside your doubts and have sufficient warrant to to place your trust and assurance in a person even if you have this niggling what if in your heads but you act accordingly you you act as though you you're in full confidence because you have sufficient evidence um so yeah i think that's that's it. And you can, you guys can see all that in my blog for, for more details and that sort of thing. Okay. Would you, okay. So, so David, to turn it over to you, would, would we, can we at least agree? So let me, okay. Let me, let me just jump in here. Um, you're, you're having some audio breakups here. Um, um, probably, probably some low bandwidth issues. Uh, I'm not going to fix any of that. Uh, so, uh, Apologies to uh, the audience. Try to bear with us. Um, we're, we're still going to have <laughs> some bandwidth issues in season two. Hopefully, we'll have slightly better setup than what we have today. But we had um, kind of doing a gorilla setup <laughs> here, and so some of the things that we would normally try to uh, fix, we're not going to be able to do that today. So I appreciate you bearing with. Am I with am I there. back now, or can you hear me? It's now? hard to tell with you. Sometimes your circuit board just doesn't work. Okay. Um, yeah, but no, you're good. You're you're good for the moment. Okay. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, some kind of types of faith or definitions of faith or styles of. I'm not sure what we're what we would be calling these. Uh, but I I had some more that I would add to that. So for instance, I didn't even uh, talk about trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I did all of this without even without even mentioning trust. Uh, as a type of faith, so just to give you some idea of the the breadth of how how wide this definition can go, obviously trust is a very important concept with faith, but even trust is it can 't be overly simplified because I think there is a difference between trust in a propositional belief and trust in a person um, so I, I think that there are some, some nuances there. Yeah. Um, part of my point that I should have mentioned in the presuppositional uh, section is that uh, I think that the Bible uh, minimally supports all of these definitions. Okay. I don't, I don't think that any of them are unsupported in the Bible. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, I think that biblical authors had a lot of, you know, a lot of different authors and they had a lot of different views on faith and some authors, just like people today, uh, have confused in multiple views of uh, this concept and sometimes they do conflict. Okay. So Quick. I think we can take almost any of our definitions and find Bible to back it up. Okay. Uh, so 
perfect. You just answered the question I was going to ask. I was going to say, do you think my my definition of faith is supported by the Bible? So we, we do agree on that. Um, but you think that there are additional ones? Yes, but, but you didn't you didn't give a def you didn't give a definition of faith though. You gave several definitions of faith. Well, there are aspects associated. A, a, a definition can be compound, right, and have multiple meaning. Even in modern dictionaries, right, but, words do that. Right, but no one, no one definition you give, no matter how compound you try to make it, is going to be suitable for every usage in the Bible. Okay. So you so, can't. You're not going to be able to substitute every time you see faith and then apply your definition to it, and then it'd be right. Okay. Okay. So let me continue my question. So, I, um, so here, here's one just. For depth, so you, you raise two things. There's the issue of confusion, and then there's the contradictory nature. So I, I'm starting with the confusion aspect. And okay, so you, you said that all of the definitions you you've given um, in your blog are supported in the Bible. Are there any of the seven to ten definitions of faith that you've come across that you think aren't supported by the Bible and, and therefore can be ruled out? That would help eliminate some confusion. Uh, I think it is very hard to completely rule out almost any made-up definition from the Bible because the Bible is so varied on this. So part of the problem, um, let me let me first go over uh, the definitions that I bring up in the blog. So because um, we've we've talked around them, but I haven't really mentioned them yet. Yeah, that's good. So uh, so very quickly, uh, I I bring up four. Uh, one I call mystic faith which is uh, the idea of faith as an objective substance uh, that can be possessed. Uh, I think that uh, when we talk about faith as being a gift of God, this is, this is uh, a mystic-type faith that you're talking about, because otherwise you can't give someone belief. A person believes a thing or they don't believe it. This is a thing that uh, Christians, even Dale has said, I don't know what his views are now, that a person can't, uh, have faith on their own. It has to come from without uh, a some type of spiritual endowment. Uh, and so that is a type of mystic faith. And then people talk about uh, varying um, amounts of faith. I'm going to show why I don't believe that you can talk about that in terms of confidence, statistical confidence. Um, I think they're actually talking about various amounts of this mystical substance. So uh, we might unpack that. Uh, there's evidential faith uh, that uh, evidentialists like uh, Gary Habermas or Mike Lacona might talk about. It's confidence in the evidence. Uh, it's something that comes from within. It, can, it should only be proportionate uh, to the evidence. Uh, it's, it's the kind of faith that a scientist uh, might have in their instruments after the instruments have been checked and double-checked and triple-checked. Um, there's nothing mystical about it. It is not something that's given as a gift um, and uh, it can't be gained by prayer or anything like that. It's, it's simple confidence in the evidence that you see. There's fightist faith. So fightism is one of those jargony words. I, I almost hate it to use it, but it's, it's a word that's uh, often used. But quite literally, fightism is can be translated as faithism. <laughs> so it is it is so um, central to the definition of how faith has been used and defined over the years that it, it it's it's literally faithism. It it is exactly faith the way you would think about faith. It's a kind of faith that stands 
um, at odds or sometimes in competition with reason. Um, and it's the kind of faith that Christians seem to support. I mentioned uh, one passage. Uh, I want to say it was Second Corinthians 2.14. Yeah, there it is. Um, uh, yeah, it says, uh, The person uh, without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot... Uh, understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So uh, here, this is just a, a small snippet of a longer text, and there are a few te- uh, passages in the Bible that are like this, that suggest that, yeah, that the, God's truth seems crazy to you, and if you're only using human reason, then you're never going to get it. So you need this additional spiritual component, let's call it faith, um, in order to understand some of these things that can only be discerned from the Spirit. This is a type of uh, faith uh, that I call fideist faith. And then there's what I call the active faith. Uh, and it's the type of faith that you hear Justin talking about a lot. So it's the faith that moves you to do things. Uh, you might say it's uh, the faith of James. Um, it doesn't matter what you actually believe. What matters is what you do. Um, and so the problem with this type of faith to me, I'll get into the problem with some of these later, but I'll get into the problem with this one now because I, I mostly dismiss it. <laughs> this is, um, but um, you can have a, an active faith uh, simply by playing the lottery. Uh, now, what do you actually think your chances are of winning the lottery by buying a lottery ticket? No one, has, no one sane has confidence that they're going to win, but they buy the ticket anyway. Um, and there are reasons that people buy the ticket. You know, you can talk about various, you know, uh, risk reward type things. You can talk about just the entertainment value of it. Uh, but it's it's a calculated risk kind of thing. It's not a confidence kind of thing. So uh, a lot of people um, take a calculated risk on Christianity without actually buying it. Um, kind of the Pascal. Yeah. type faith yeah. uh, so uh, I just I dismiss that one out of hand even though you can see shades of it in some in parts of the Bible I think that's probably the most ridiculous uh, of the versions of faith but those are the four that we're talking about uh, that I'm that I'm talking about uh, and of course we could we could go on to talk about faith as trusting an individual uh, and faith as entrusting propositional truths or or uh, intellectually assenting to propositional truths. So with that, uh, you were you were saying something. I was about to come in on it, but then I interrupted myself with this. Now I don't remember where we we're going. Um, oh, um, yeah. So so some of that. Okay. So one thing that I'm confused over because I thought I understood you then. So with evidential, let let's just focus on the intellectual propositions aspect for a second. Assenting okay. to these and having confidence in these. Um, Trust, trusting in those, how is that different than an evidence, what you call an evidence-based faith? Because I thought those were the same thing, more or less, or, or yeah. What's the- Not really. I think that uh, it's very possible to trust in a propositional um, claim without any evidence. Uh, so I, I, I do think those are very different. So, for instance, uh, oftentimes you, you're talking to a Christian, they're giving Bible verses, and they're giving evidence, and they're giving you know things that they think they can win on empirically, and then you mention something like, yeah, well, how do you know 
what you think you know about heaven, well, you, uh, you know, then the f- definition of faith shifts. Okay. Because obviously you don't have any evidence for that. It's, it's a proposition. It becomes, well, you know, I hope that that's the case. And so I am going to give intellectual assent to it. Okay. So, okay. So let's say this then. So there's a difference between a warranted and an unwarranted um, evidence-based faith or something. If you have, you have a, you know, blind faith, like a, you, you don't have sufficient. You broke down completely there. Uh, could you, could you say that again? Um, so you could say that there's a difference. There's some people have a warranted evidence-based faith, whereas others might have an unwarranted evidence-based faith, like a, a blind faith or something like that. Um, okay. and you, you reject that, like that's not a proper uh-huh. interpretation, a, a proper Christian definition of, for the word of faith, or do you think that that is also supported in the Bible? And, and if so, where, like, let's, let's look it up and see, and let me see it. If you think, you know, this kind of unwarranted blind faith is supported. Yeah. I think, uh, faith in something that you're not convinced by is uh, supported. So when um, when Philip uh, comes to Jesus, I just want to clarify this. Philip was not asking to see evidence that the other 11 hadn't seen. So Philip just wasn't in the room the first time Jesus came to the 11. Uh, so it was actually the 10 at the time. And uh, Jesus uh, showed them the holes in his hands and his side. Uh, and then they believed. Philip wasn't there, and when he uh, came back and they told him about it, he says, well, I want to see it too. I'm not going to believe unless I see the, the holes. Uh, and then when Jesus comes back and Philip is there, Philip says, I want to see the holes. Um, so Philip wasn't actually, uh, I think, demanding anything that the others hadn't already seen. But at any rate, Jesus uh, uh, told Philip, uh, stop doubting and believe. Now, in this case, Philip had doubts. He, he was not convinced. Um, the others had been convinced by then, but Philip had not been convinced. But Jesus rebuked Philip for wanting that empirical evidence. He wanted him to believe in the proposition before he was actually convinced. Um, and so I think that is one example uh, of perhaps many uh, that I could come up with. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I take issue with this. And this was, uh, just for the audience, where, where was this? This was the Gospel of John? Probably. Yeah, well, if, well, if it's multiple... Yeah, I, did, I didn't, I didn't prep the passage, but okay. but this is it's easy to look up. Just Google it. Okay. Um, okay, so, so yeah, I, I don't think the Bible would support an unwarranted uh, faith, uh, or I find that to be problematic. Um, so... Yeah, I think in in Philip's case, um, he he did have evidence from other things to place his trust in Jesus and that sort of thing, and he he also okay, had that doesn't matter because he didn't have enough. It doesn't. So I I understand where you're going. Philip didn't have enough of those things, and this is kind of the Christian's one size fits all. Um, approach to evidentialism. So I saw enough evidence in, to convince me. So therefore, it should be enough evidence to convince you. This is a fallacy. It's wrong. Um, it, you, there may be 
you may not need as much evidence to convince me. You might be very superstitious. You may have some very wrong ideas about the world, or maybe I do. So maybe someone does a magic trick and that convinces you. But I've seen a lot of magic tricks, and so I'm not convinced by it. You can't say that he had enough evidence. He clearly didn't have enough evidence for him. Right. So so here's where I would say I, I accept individual relativism on, on the assessment of the evidences to an extent. Um, you have to be what the law considers a reasonable person. Like the the courts, for example, are not going to just be like, oh, well, in your opinion, it was it was cool to kill him. So, all right, you're off the hook. You're No, you're unreasonable if you're going to be saying that. So we, we don't go totally based on individualism, even though there is some element of, of subjectiveness when we're assessing evidence and that sort of thing, of course. But yeah, I think that there is some measure um, where we can tell if someone is being reasonable or, or not um, in certain cases. And yeah, I mean, Philip was witness to Jesus doing miracles throughout his entire ministry. Uh, he would have... All of them were witnesses to Jesus doing miracles throughout their entire ministry. So, right. I mean, if you, use, if you use that as a story, the story just falls apart even long before it gets into that room. Peter, who was a party to raising dead people, uh, before Jesus died, suddenly doesn't believe that Jesus is going to rise. And not one of those uh, disciples are standing uh, at the gravesite waiting for Jesus to come out, say, on day three, when he said it would come out. So the story is utterly ridiculous on its face if what you're saying is that a reasonable person would at least have enough belief to see how this plays out. They did not. They went back fishing. So I don't, I don't think that you can... I don't think that you can say, well, you know, they had enough evidence to believe. I, I would say that, but I get shouted down by Christians mm-hmm. when I say that. So, obviously, Thomas didn't have enough evidence to believe. And by the way, when Jesus showed up in that room for the other ten, they didn't believe either. They were full of fear, and Jesus showed them the holes in the hands of the side, and then they kind of calmed down. So, none of them had a better reaction than Thomas. Um, so, again, I don't, I don't think it's particularly fair to, to single out Thomas. When Jesus said, stop doubting and believe, I think that's a wrong formulation, period. Because if a person has doubts, we don't choose you know, uh, what, what we believe. We either believe a thing or we don't. We're either convinced or we're not. For whatever reason, Thomas was unconvinced. And for an unconvinced person, you don't say, stop doubting and believe. You say, okay, let me try to convince you. Yeah, but no, Thomas was being uh, an unreasonable person. He he could he should have. There was sufficient evidence to have Peter and all the other apostles saying we saw him in the flesh. Given the background, yeah, no. he's seen Jesus do miracles. He knows he's associated with God. Um, so you're he, saying that Thomas should have believed a story, while the people telling the story got the hard evidence. That's that's not fair. No, but that's uh, that's. The basis of the Christian church, all the Christians believed the apostles' testimony. That's how most people came to believe. And obviously, yeah, but con- that's not that's not really true either, though. Uh, I mean, I in your to- case, it may be true mm-hmm. because you say that you haven't had any mystical experiences, uh, you know, or maybe you have, and you're just not talking about them. I never did. But I talk to a lot of Christians who say, oh, yes, Jesus visited me. Yes, I saw him in a vision. Yes, he did this miracle for me. They actually do have what they think is concrete evidence, and they want me to believe based on their story of concrete evidence. 
Now, I, I'm, I'm Thomas in this case. I'm saying, well, if you got your concrete evidence, I want my concrete evidence. I don't want to believe based on your testimony of it. So, yeah, the, but there's a difference, right? So, so number one, Philip was privy to actual supernatural miracles. So let's pretend you um, actually go around um, and you, you witness me, you've known me for three years, and I'm going around committing actual supernatural miracles in front of your eyes. Uh, and you both, you both, you and Andrew and Matt and Sarah and everybody um, are like, you know, 12 of the unbelievable commenters are all like, yeah, yeah, wow, you know, it, it's proven. Then everyone, Andrew, everyone, you, you aren't there after I'm killed and then I do a resurrection appearance to, you know, 10 of these people from the unbelievable forums that you've known for years, you, you trust um, in the same way that you trust Andrew and Matt and that sort of thing and, and they're telling you we saw you. Yeah, at that point, there's there's a difference rather than just taking a random person's testimony, and that's why Paul was. Just... I don't. I don't think there is a difference. I I, I do apologize. And this this may be just be one of those places where we have an impasse. But mm -hmm. if everybody in the room had the same type of evidence, I wouldn't have a problem. So, for instance, if if all eleven had to just take the word of someone that Jesus rose. Let's say that Jesus didn't appear to any of them, right? But but he told them that he would appear. And then he went to heaven without without coming uh, to them. Well, he still told the truth. I mean, he rose. Uh, he went back to heaven, but they didn't see it. They should believe based on his testimony. Um, and so if all of them... Were, yeah, they should have. They were, they were unreasonable them were, in, in not doing so. That, that's a, right. a mark would, against. So, sorry, we so. would actually we would actually agree on that. Um, they're unreasonable, but the fact of the matter is they weren't convinced nonetheless. So where where it becomes unfair is Jesus shows up to ten of them, <laughs> and not eleven of them. Okay. And by the way, Jesus knew exactly when all eleven of them would be together. He could have shown up. Uh, when all 11 of them were together. So he's screwing with them uh, mm. already by dividing them in this way, intentionally, and he gives uh, one control group good evidence and the other control group bad evidence. And we see what happens, and he tells the one with the bad evidence, you should believe in the same way that the people with the good evidence believe. Okay. Well, that, is, that is never going to be fair. Right, so, so the, in the first place, this is a different... In the first place, he did give him evidence that he was unreasonable and not accepting it he gave better evidence to to others so so this is sort of a separate objection that it's being unfair or immoral to give you know what it, it's kind of like what what the heck uh, why, why don't i get to see you in the flesh jesus that's that's not fair i mean imagine how much more confident i would be um if you appeared to me and let me touch you or see you like you did the apostles. It would be at least at fifty-three point one five percent. Well, remember, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm in the. I think I'm actually in the seventies. Believe it or not, um, I, I haven't. Again, I haven't formalized it, but I did some playing around. I think I'll. I'll actually be in the seventies, uh, which surprises well, you me. Know, until until um, you give me uh, the updated number. Uh, it's, I'm going to have to take your uh, two decimal place, 53.1. Cool, and that's what I do. Yeah, uh, that's fine. That's fine. That's what I do as well. Um, stick with what I know for sure. So, okay. Um, yeah, but... Uh, so that so that's where I have different responses to that different argument. Um, you know, is it 
is it unfair for God to give miracles to certain people uh, and not to others? Um, or does God have reasons as to why he interacts with us as individuals? So long as he gives us sufficient evidence, and remember you admitted they should have, they were unreasonable in, in the evidence that they were given in not believing that, they were unreasonable in, in not believing. They should have had faith at, at that point. So, yeah, we can't make as well, long as it's I'm gonna I'm going to give them a little bit of credit, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something I don't like and twist the story a little bit because I don't think this is the story being told. But uh, you could read it this way. So they had, up to that point, seen a very confident Jesus who was pretty much untouchable. He could pass through crowds that were trying to mob him and kill him without being touched. So Jesus was really good at avoiding death. <laughs> uh, and that's the Jesus that they saw. But in the garden, Jesus is sweating blood. He is scared almost literally to death of what's coming. And uh, the disciples see that. And so they they believe that if if this happens and Jesus dies, that something something broke. So what they see is Jesus captured and he dies. So they they may have some reasonable basis to think uh, that it's over and that you know maybe it didn't work out the way Jesus anticipated. Mm-hmm. It's it's understandable for sure. Like I I probably would have failed the test myself if I was there back then, right? And had their limitations and that sort of thing. It's it's easy to say, oh, I would have done different if I was in their shoes i wouldn't have betrayed jesus or or run away or something like that um so so it's understandable where they why they did what they did why they failed um but that doesn't mean that it they didn't have sufficient reason to to not act in the way that they actually did the bible they yeah i I would just say that but but again you're defining sufficiency as a one-size-fits-all thing this evidence was good enough for me and therefore, it should be good enough for you. And and I I do think that that is always a mistake. And even if I would agree with you that that seems like that should be good enough for everybody, there's just no such thing as that should be good enough for everybody. Um, and we are either we are either convinced of a thing or we are not convinced of a thing. And if a person is not convinced of a thing, it's the wrong thing to say to that person who's not convinced. Well, you should you should just be you should believe anyway. Okay, so That's all I'm saying. You asked me earlier, uh, just I so the been, audience doesn't get lost here, yeah. if, there, if I could come up with an example of um, someone being told to believe without sufficient evidence. And clearly Thomas didn't have sufficient, sufficient evidence for him. Yeah, so he objectively had sufficient evidence, but... Yeah, he, for him it was subjectively insufficient, and that was because of his own fault. But um, he, here's a good segue, actually. Well, then Jesus should have Jesus should have told him to get lost. Then you know, you're no longer one of the twelve. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. If if that's if what you're saying is true, and there was sufficient evidence for him, and Jesus knew it was sufficient evidence, rather than Jesus telling him, "Well, believe despite your doubts," which is exactly what we're talking about, this definition of saying believe even when you don't believe it. What Jesus should have said is, well, you should believe it, so if you don't believe it at this point, get the heck out. Well, no, because Jesus had reason to use their things as object lessons for, for his ultimate purposes. And, and the I, object lesson he gave was, you should believe even when you don't believe. 
that's the lesson and that is exactly my point when I say that that is a that is a valid definition of faith no that wasn't the lesson that wasn't the lesson at all he had everyone has to have sufficient faith he had sufficient objectively sufficient it doesn't matter whether you're subjective but here here's something that'll help in a Christian context those so in the first place one one thing it's not true that there isn't a one-size-fits-all um, type of evidence actually um, I'm sorry D DNA evidence you should be convinced by that if you're not you're a nutball uh, unless you can prove some kind of contamination or something but pretend all that's out if, if we have yeah that that's an evidence that is very convincing to all reasonable people if you're not convinced by that there's something wrong with you but yeah, so DNA, DNA evidence is sometimes wrong and sure. uh, we you know you're not a nut job if you uh, reject some DNA evidence I I'll, I'll let the so, commenters pick so, that apart, though. I don't. Yeah. I think that you would take that back if you thought that through better. Well, I, I said I took out any of those factors. Are you saying but DNA? You can never, but you can never take out those factors, though, because they're always a part of us evaluating DNA evidence until we get better at evaluating DNA evidence. Okay, so should we? We shouldn't. DNA evidence is insufficient to be admissible in court. Is that what you're saying? Like juries should not just consider that, just dismiss that evidence because. There's no, but I'm saying that that's not the slam dunk uh, that you seem to think it is either, because you have to then consider how good is that DNA evidence. Was there some contamination? Uh, you know, what's the chain of custody? Uh, you know, these markers, is that within the um, range of possibility that we could be talking about twins? Um, there are all kinds of questions in yes, there. Yes, I'm not. I've uh, considered, so, everyone considers those in court, right? Um, we, we do... We do know about those factors, and that's why I removed it. Like I, when I give okay. a simplistic, well, I, I just think you're arbitrarily removing it. If you're saying that DNA, you know, we understand enough about DNA to mostly identify a, per, a person as long as the sample is perfect and we're perfect in our evaluation, sure. But I mean, you're, you're just kind of creating one of those other world scenarios that doesn't exist in this world. Okay. Well, even even with those problems, DNA evidence is. A sufficient evidence to be considered by reasonable persons in court. Um, so that it is should, a one yeah, size. It definitely should be considered, but it's it should be considered, but it is not the evidence. And so, if all you do is say, "I've got DNA evidence here," and you know, someone who knows a lot about DNA says, "Wait a minute, uh, I've looked at that and I doubt it," you can't say this DNA evidence. It should be sufficient for you. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that. Yeah, I think that proves my point um, in what I'm saying. Actually, like I don't have to disagree with what you're saying about that evidence, but it, it's still, yeah, a reasonable person would consider this evidence in court. They would be given expert testimony, and the defense would come up with these sort of things, and then they would have sufficient evidence in convicting that person if those contamination factors, or they don't have a twin, or something like that. Um, were ruled out then that's a one-size-fits-all evidence but here, here's the here's something that's related to what you were saying about um, some people just on a subjective level it they still don't buy it they should but they just don't um, and so my answer to your question is yes I I still maintain that the Holy Spirit so you you call this part of mystic faith I, I don't mm -hmm. like the terminology, but I'll, I'll go with it. But 
I still do stand by my words. I, I do believe that the Holy Spirit's role is necessary for human beings to be wise and come to have faith in okay, a saving how, faith. So, to, to flesh that out for me, because you don't like mix, mystic faith, and you don't like how I've defined it, but you're you're talking about it in exactly the way that I talk about it. So if if the only problem is a problem with my terminology, come up with better terminology. Sure, um, I'm about to. So so here's how I look at the the Holy Spirit isn't giving us some mystical substance called faith like you know he's like got us got a the opposite of a vacuum cleaner something that shoots something you know something called faith into us and oh now I've got I got some more faith I I don't think that's what's going on I think that faith is defined as trust and that sort of thing but the Holy Spirit is an enabler so he fixes the problems that sin has caused in our noetic, fac- noetic faculties, or our spirit, which is the faculty of how we relate to God, our um, our divine sense, which is how we come to have knowledge that God exists in a properly basic way and that sort of thing. So the Holy Spirit's role is as a fixer, as an enabler. He's, he restores our... So our, no noetic faculties, divine sense, all of this is mystic. <laughs> this is This is mystical talk. This is there is no noetic faculty. There's no divine sense on a on a scan. Um, there's no so, noetic faculties. Yeah, I mean this That's, this okay. divine sense that you're talking about. This is this is not a part of the amygdala. You know, I don't. I, so you're you're still talking about some mystical component um, when you speak this way. Well, so noetic faculties just mean cognitive faculties. You're using noetic faculties when you think one plus one equals two. Uh, or when you do science, um, the divine sense is okay, a well, part. I of... think that you're. I think that you're over jargoning by calling that noetic faculties. If all you mean is our brain uh, doing brain work, then that's probably what you should say. <laughs> so. It's it's yeah. It's our cognitive faculties, not our brain, because I'm a substance dualist, right? So that's that's why I'm our our mental so faculties. Already, we're entering. We're we're acknowledging that there's some mystical component then that you're talking about. See, there's a non-physical component. I don't recognize your non-physical cognitive um, faculty. I recognize my brain doing work. So I'm willing to use a term like cognitive faculty as long as you're not loading it up with uh, some mystical stuff and then claiming that you're not talking about some mystical stuff. Okay. So you are talking about mystical stuff. Sure. So so in that sense, if if... Yes, my mental faculties are not my physical brain. Um, all Christian, most Christians believe this, and I believe this is supported in the Bible. Um, so under my presupposition that the Protestant Bible is assumed to be divine revelation from God, which is what Christians do, right? We're, we're not debating about atheists. We're trying to figure out if we can come to a Christian, common Christian definition, I think, Um well, and I, th- I think Christians and atheists. Remember, a lot of atheists are former Christians, and so it's not like we don't know what we're talking about. Okay. Um, well, and and also yeah. when we talk to you, we hear how you use the word. So there are two there are two things. There's how you define the word when you say faith is this, and you give a definition. It's how you use the word when you actually use it in a sentence, and often those two things don't meet. Okay. Well, how are 
so how are they not meeting here then? I guess I don't I don't understand. Like it's this is well, common. I'm not, I'm not sure because you're the one disputing my uh, mystical faith idea. But, the, but everything that you've said is using mystical jargon. Right. So the reason I was disputing it is because I I misunderstood what you meant by mystic. Um, so if you're if you're meaning that it in, it entails non physical components, right? Like my my mind is not is a non physical object, and most Christians believe this because they're substance dualists. So they they don't right. believe. So in that sense, okay, but, yes, but there's, I believe but there's more than but there's more than mine because even uh, us uh, substance non-dualists, <laughs> monists of substance, mm -hmm. we just so yeah, e even those of us who are physicalists um, might use a word like mind, and Christians would use a word like mind, and we mostly mean the same thing when we say that, but but. First Corinthians two fourteen goes beyond mind. Sure, it, it, it talks about a something that can only be spiritually discerned. Now, if you would if you would acknowledge that even atheists have minds that we can use logic and reason, you have to say, well, there's some other component then that allows us to spiritually discern things that atheists don't have. Well, not not necess not necessarily. Um, I I would say that because I believe the way we relate to God, our divine sense is a spiritual faculty. But Alvin, Very well. Alvin, and this is what I mean by mystical faith. No, but. Even even if it's just the mind, Alvin Plantinga believes it's just the mind. The way we come to knowledge of God is a cognitive, rational faculty, and he's a substance dualist. So, if you're going to grant me spirit, like a non-physical mind, it, are you are you cool with that? Or my understanding is you would still call uh, that for the sake of for the sake of conversation. Um, you know, it, once again, though, if if all we're talking about is the capacity to think. Um, you know, and you would place that outside of the brain. I'd place that inside of the brain. I, I think that we can use the word mind uh, interchangeably in that way. But I am suggesting that you are loading up mind with some other stuff besides just the ability to think. Well, of course, uh, the mind does have other attributes to it. But Yes, Alvin Plantinga would say the divine sense, what I'm calling this divine sense, or sensus divinitatis, is a part of the mind. I I don't. I think it's a different faculty. Um, but the, the point is, once we grant this, so if you, if you want to say because it's non-physical, it's mystical, then great. Okay, I'm happy to accept, yeah, Christianity does entail a, a mystical element. Too. But it's not, it's not just non-physical. It's non-cognitive. It's, it's, it's a separate thing. Right. So, what? This, but emotions are non-cognitive. They are not officially part of the mind, but we still have them. Okay, but all humans, all humans have emotions. All humans uh, have thoughts. I'm talking about humans with you know physically properly working brains. All humans have those things. Good point. You know, potentially and ultimately equal proportions. But we don't all have this spiritus divinitus. I can I can see the things of God, and they don't look foolish to me. That's a different thing. And that's what I'm calling the mystical part of this. Right, but we, we all do have it. We, they, we were all created, according to Christianity, we were all created with this, but it's now defunct. It's not damaged. Just like the guy with the emotions, you're like, 
obviously simple emotions haven't been as badly damaged by the fall they they still even they have still been damaged our emotions aren't pure and innocent uh we experience bad anger and that sort of thing or or unrighteous emotions as well so they're they even they're corrupted by sin um but so let me drill down different just faculties when you when when we say god oh, grants us out. faith that god gives a gift of faith I just, you said something about faith I, I can't. yeah we, we both are probably so when you when you say that god gives us a gift of faith mm -hmm. what is god doing I think that he is in he's repairing the damage um, to some extent to a sufficient extent where we can show the wisdom that yeah an assent to God does exist and I'm gonna place my faith in him I'm gonna place my trust in him so it's repairing of the damage okay so he's repairing this mystical non-physical thing <laughs> that's within us I think that's one way of putting it. I can see where you're saying that, but I think that most Christians would say you know, he's injecting us with um, something externally. So you can say, well, he's injecting us with repairs. And others might say he's injecting us with substance, but it still comes from without. Injecting us with repairs. Well, well, something, something yeah, the Holy Spirit is, is from without. So in that sense, he's... Something from without is needed to repair us, but I, I don't. When you say inject, injecting, like the the part that I was well, rejecting, so is it's this. not just coming from within. It's not just something that I can do without some outsider coming in and tinkering with something. Gotcha. So maybe puts in new parts. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, a car doesn't repair itself. Mm -hmm. uh, those repairs come from the outside. Mm -hmm. Someone has to go in and do things. So they might they might just. You know, shine up something rusty, or they might swap out a wire. But there's something injected from the outside that makes the thing work. Gotcha. So, in in the case of faith, that's what I'm calling mystical faith. Okay. So, so thank you for clarifying that. So, in that in the sense that there there is a required outside input um, from God to repair the damage, then yes, I, I would subscribe to that mystic what you call mystic faith as one of the aspects but i just want to clarify it's not like the holy spirit is going around with a syringe and has has it full up with something called faith and and you know inject injects it into your veins like that no, that was in your in your by your way of thinking he's going around with a monkey wrench and uh yeah. and some yeah. some fresh wires yeah exactly okay, it's, it's the same thing to me okay cool so, so so then we i accept it then yeah we we can that's great i didn't think we would agree on that but now that we've clarified it, yeah, I, I can agree with you that there is a mystical, what you call a mystical aspect to faith then. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. So let's let's leave fideism where it is for the moment. Uh, I want to hear you talk about evidential faith. And this is actually where I thought that most of this discussion would live. Um, so even though I will acknowledge that there are examples of evidential faith in the Bible. I'll, I'll even provide one. I think it's the worst definition of faith. Uh, and I think that most of the Bible lives in what I would call mystic faith and fightist faith. I think it's kind of a combination of those two. I think that uh, a type of evidential faith is a special circumstances in the Bible, and it really doesn't cover what's mostly being talked about. So one example that I'll, that I'll just throw out of evidential faith. Um, 
just so that people understand that I am trying to be fair here, um, is one of my favorite stories. It's uh, is it the prophet? It wasn't Amos. Um, it was. Elisha or Elijah, I think one of those. Anyway, um, may have been Amos, I don't know. But uh, it's where the the 400 um, prophets of Baal, I think, were... um, That's Elijah, yeah. That's Elijah, okay. Um, And they basically, uh, God's prophet basically does a contest. (laughs) He says, okay, you got your gods, I got my god. Mono y mono. Let's let's do this. Let's look at some evidence and see which God can perform. And so the prophets agree. And so God does a thing. I mean, they're you know their gods you know try to set up a thing and they they can't do it. The prophets can't do it. And then Elijah does a thing and says, okay, let's see if my God can do it. And God does it. And so on the basis of the evidence. Um, then they then they say, okay, well, God is God, and then God kills them all <laughs> because God is God. Um, so um, that's one example of evidential faith. I don't think that is largely what the Bible is talking about, though, when it talks about faith. Okay. Um, okay. So, so in the first place, there are God does use. "Quote unquote evidence, um, right? We we talked about the resurrection appearance, or prophets would do miracles. We had the the test between Elijah and Baal, and the prophets of Baal. Um, so so there is precedent in the Bible where God does use objective evidences, let's say, to prove and attest to His religious message. I would agree with you that most people in biblical times um, and also today, even, um, you know, evidentialists are kind of, they're not the mainstream, as uh, no. Sarah has been at loggerheads to try and get through, you know, through to me. But I would still say this is part of an evidentialist faith. And, and what is the, the reason? Oh, well, what, what evidence are you talking about? And that's where the properly basic beliefs come in, because that is evidence. That it, That isn't just the you know, people willy-nilly in the Bible just uh, believing in, in this for the sake of it, um, I would say they have properly basic belief in God and based their faith on that evidence. Uh, you know, God interacted with them on a dynamic level and that sort of thing. Assume, assuming they were good Jews, everything was in good standing and that sort of thing. Uh, that's how they had had knowledge about God. It, it was an evidence-based faith. It was. It's just a most people get their faith from this subjective evidence rather than looking at objective evidences. In my case, it was a combination. Um, neither one in, it, in itself was sufficient for, for me to believe. Uh, and even with my updates and numbers, I, I wouldn't be a Christian just based on a properly basic belief alone. I, I need this supplement of objective evidences plus the properly basic belief to, to get there. Um, so, so, yeah. so here's here is a um, this is where I'm going to insert a, a passage. Okay. Um, it's Deuteronomy 13, and I think that this utterly destroys the idea of evident evidentialism the way that uh, modern the, the new apologists tend to use it. Okay. Deuteronomy 13. Uh, so there may be a way to 
use evidentialism, but I think that new apologists are are using it badly. So it's Deuteronomy 13, uh, starting with verse 1. Um, and I think it's the NIV that I'm reading. Um, if a prophet or one who foretells the uh, foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, verse 2 is key. And if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commandments and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. The prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's that's probably far enough. Yep. So th- th- verse 2 is very Im- uh, important and key to this for me because mm-hmm. it says, yeah, even if the prophet of this other God has evidence, and it, we're talking about evidence that actually works, it's it's real, you still shouldn't uh, listen to him. Um, this is this is not about you know comparing evidences and seeing which God claim is, is real. It's about... God is your God, and you stick with Him faithfully, no matter what else you see. Yeah, yep, you're absolutely right. And this relates to the question of, well, I've, I've proven miracles. What if they're coming from Satan or some other supernatural trickster or something like that? Um, so, right. well, I mean, we don't even have to uh, imagine Satan or supernatural trickster says that God's doing it. So, this is so this is a whole other discussion. We're talking it? about the evil God. God says. He's testing you with this guy. Yeah. So maybe he is giving this guy supernatural power just to test. So you okay, can't, yeah. you have to ignore evidence. Yeah. Evidence okay. is not what you're looking at here. So wrong. Um, so here, here's number one Israel also had the properly basic belief, and he could be appealing to that as, saying, as overriding any tr- tricky evidence. And God, God never tests us beyond our capability to to know the truth he never causes undue confusion a christian couldn't accept that um but secondly even objectively speaking there are way there are ways to tell which miracles are g belief authenticating events a special class of miracle that attests to the truth of a religion versus a a trick or something like that um, and that, that's why I go over my criteria from a, a G-belief authenticating event. Uh, or in biblical times, um, they would have things like religious contests, you know, Baal versus uh, thing, or Moses versus the Egyptian priests, where the Egyptian priests perform. And I, I think the proper reading is that they weren't just doing magic tricks. They, they actually had supernatural power in some of these things. That seems to be what Exodus is saying. Um, but in the, in the, context of a religious context you're you're, break, you're breaking up oh, no. you're, you're breaking up i just wanted to clarify what you said uh the pharaoh pharaoh's magicians weren't just uh doing illusions they actually had magic it it's that seems to me to be what the, the bible itself is saying um i know 
people try to try to say that there are. Yes. No. I was I was just clearing it five for the listener because you had broken up. Okay. Over there. And do do you do you agree? I think you you said that you agree with that reading as well, or do you think I'm wrong about that? I'm, I'm, yeah. It, I, I I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't. Um, disagreeing with I was clarifying it for the listener because you had broken up through there gotcha you could be understood so I was just uh, clarifying that okay cool yeah and uh, you know if if there's Christians out there and you disagree and say no they were just matched to well great that helps me out even more but let's pretend for the sake for the sake of responding to David's point here about in Deuteronomy let's pretend they were actually doing supernatural miracles here um it takes place within the context of a religious contest where Christianity, a.k.a. Moses, comes out on top and it is attesting to, hey, I'm the real guy from God. And I think that's an objective way that you can also tell whose miracles to trust or not. Um, so, yeah, that that's those are the two avenues I would do. They, they had the evidence from the properly basic belief. They should have known better. That overrides any trick miracles that are taking place from false prophets or and or they it could take place in a religious contest context and and craig keener uh lists some of these that take place in a modern uh route as well and i, I remember even asking him okay but what about what about other religious contests are there other cases where islam comes out on top and that sort of thing he, he sort of said well i didn't look into that and i, I think if you're going to use a religious contest um, as a Ghibli authenticating event in a modern context, like, yeah, that's that's an element you need to look at to establish that it is a Ghibli authenticating event. And uh, um, so I think that's a fruitful avenue as potential evidence in a modern case. And it's that's one of the ways that I think the ancient Israelites... Okay, but that's, that's not just what this... That's not just what this passage says, though. It, it doesn't say evaluate the evidence. It actually says don't evaluate the evidence. So um, I, I think you actually have it completely backwards. Just the idea that this guy is suggesting another, another god is enough to have him put to death. He, he, god does not want you looking at the evidence and saying, oh, that looks like pretty good evidence. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should believe God based on the evidence. You should believe God based on the fact that he is your god and you don't get to you know, philander with other gods. So screw the evidence. It, it doesn't matter. Um, I, don't, and I don't think he's... I, I think you're reading too much into it. So I, I get that I'm also reading... With this religious contest thing, I'm reading that into here as one potential way. But that that is backed up okay. by... Okay, well, verse 3, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Uh, don't, don't take them into account. Yeah, you, you don't believe their religious message and... Unless you have sufficient warrant to do it, and, and this no, verse no, is assuming you don't, that no, you'll no, no, never... no, not unless you have sufficient warrant, because they have sufficient warrant to listen to him. Not the verse says, "Don't listen." Well, yeah, they do because he's doing magic. Yeah, but that's that so, in and of itself. This verse is saying for the people of Israel that in and of itself is not sufficient. Um, right. You need so a way to don't distinct... don't look at the evidence that outsiders bring you. Don't look at that evidence. Don't compare the evidence. Now, if you pick up verse six. This is so. I think it's maybe one of the worst passages in the Bible, but uh, it follows this directly. If your very own brother, your son or daughter, uh, or the wife whom you love—I like that phrase that's injected there—whom you love, this is <laughs> your wife, uh, you know, or your closest friend, 
they secretly entice you saying, let's go up and worship other gods. Uh, just the suggestion of it. The suggestion gets them put to, to death. You don't get to listen to their evidence. They might be saying, let's go worship other gods because I saw this prophet of this god and he raised a dead person. He doesn't even get to finish the sentence. You need to hit him over the head with a rock right away. It says, do not listen. Yes. Um, and, and that's, yeah, within the Old Testament context, right? The, these are the command. Israel has to be, it's in a covenant relationship by its own choice. So okay. in, in, in the Old Testament, God that it, does there's use no, religious... There's no evidence that anyone could bring in this context. Properly where, uh, where that, that answers everything. But I'm, I'm saying in addition to that, the God of the Old Testament also uses religious contests. It's not doing so in this context specifically, but I'm saying that's another avenue that they could use to adjudicate, and they did in the case of Moses versus the Egyptian priests. They did in the, in the case of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, where the prophets of Baal were just utter failures. Um, so obviously that wasn't a supernatural thing, but there are these contests that are also in the Old Testament. Um, so God does use this as one potential way um, to adjudicate between miracles. And it's therefore proper for, for Christians to, to do that today um, in the New Testament era. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There are certain laws. It, it sounds where... like you're saying it's proper to adjudicate evidence as long as, uh, God, as, long as God wins. So, you're cutting out. I didn't. I'm not hearing anything you're saying. Yeah, you, yeah. We both we both did some cutting out. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. So it sounds like you're saying it's okay to adjudicate uh, other evidences for other gods as long as God wins. And and I'm saying even that is not what this is saying. It's you don't even get to adjudicate the evidence, um, because that's not why you remain faithful to God. You don't remain faithful to God because your evidence is stronger. You remain faithful to God because you remain faithful to God. <laughs> so yeah, in, in God might show you stronger evidence than what you think you've seen before. But the passage clearly says, hey, that's just God tricking you. That's God testing you yeah, but, to see if you'll stay faithful. Yeah. And so that is what it's saying, right? But that's because they already have sufficient evidence that shows them that the God of Israel is the one true God and all these other gods are false gods. And that's why there's this presumptive, they are false prophets, just go ahead and kill them. But in other contexts where that sufficient evidence isn't there, such as Moses versus the Egyptians, so, or... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, let me just read the New Testament parallel passage to this. It's not, I don't know that it comes directly from this, but it is close enough of a parallel passage that you might want to throw that into, into the equation. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's Galatians 1, 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly uh, deserted the one who called you to live in grace uh, of Christ and are turning to different gospel. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people uh, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one you preach uh, that we preach to you let him be uh, let them be under God's curse uh, and this, this is repeated in verse 9 as we have already said 
So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be accursed. You don't, it's not a matter of you listening to and evaluating what the other person is saying. Right. They are accursed just for preaching something different. And it's so much so that if God sent an angel to tell you that thing, you should reject the angel. That's not evidentialist faith. Wrong, though, because so this is an exact parallel to that Judaism thing, right? This is in the context of the church where whereby they already have sufficient evidence to be Christians. They know that Christianity is true. You don't you don't allow a false gospel into the church. That's why heretics are excommunicated. That sounds like closed mindedness. You you talk about being an open seeker. That's not being an open seeker. That's not uh, that is setting your faith in stone once and for all and never letting uh, yourself evaluate it again. No, you're uh, no, but it's they have sufficient evidence to know that this is not. This is what this Bible verse is saying. Can anyone just, have sufficient evidence to never reevaluate it? Yeah, if you're a hundred percent, and that's what the Bible assumes. The Bible doesn't speak. In okay, terms then of that's a, that's a different message that you've been given then, because you're you're saying, well, you know, we're not a hundred percent about anything, and now, yeah, a hundred percent, you need to be a hundred percent, and then when someone comes and says something different, you can just shut your ears. That's not that's not being open. That's not being a seeker by your definition. Um, that's not uh, exercising a evidentialist type faith. No, but I because, I am open because I don't have a hundred percent knowledge, which is what these verses okay, are assuming. You're just a heathen. <laughs> you're, just, you're just a freaking heathen, then. I'm not sure why we, why anyone would listen to you, because these verses are, in fact, demanding 100% by, once again, by your definition, by your reading. And if anyone comes along, you don't give them an open and equal opportunity to, to hear them out. You kill them. Not in the church, but I first, mean, you, first you I don't do. listen to them, and second, you kill them. No, I mean, you, you don't allow them into the church, right? Um, that... To well, start you don't, preaching, you don't, I you don't allow them. You don't allow them anything. So if when a Mormon knocks on your door, you, you don't let them in. You don't offer them a cup of water. They're under God's curse for even teaching something different than uh, you've been taught. If an angel from heaven bursts through the clouds, Paul is saying that shouldn't be evidence enough for you to change. Screw that guy. Yeah, because that that alone, in and of itself, is not enough. You need to. Okay. A, a, so assess it to see if it's a G belief authentic event. Okay. You need well, to, no, he doesn't say assess it. <laughs> no, but he That's, he does say it. it. Okay, show me where it says if you have less than a hundred percent certainty, you are not allowed to consider the testimony of an angel. If if you can show me where the verse that says um, not a hundred percent, this is what the Bible assumes. It doesn't deal with probabilities or anything. It's it's saying, look, we we have knowledge that Jesus is true, Christianity is true, even if an angel comes against you, you just dismiss it right away. And you don't allow that into the church. I don't allow imams to preach a, a sermon on Islam in the church. And they don't allow Christian preachers to go and treat, teach sermons and that sort of thing. But there are contexts outside where people don't have 100% certainty. You but can you have debates. listened to imams. This is, this is not just about in the church. This is don't listen to them at all in any context. Uh, the, once again, the passage in way. the passage, well, but the passage in Deuteronomy doesn't talk about what's going on in an assembly. It's talking about what's going on at home uh, in your among your family. No, and, and uh, Israel your is son, an assembly. Your daughter, your wife. Israel is the church, right? The church is a okay. 
metaphor that, for. So I think you're splitting hairs in a way that doesn't doesn't seem true to the text. I think the text is saying exactly what I'm saying that it says, and I think that people would hear it that way. But maybe we can leave it to the comments and see. I um, once again, though, I, you know, if we're talking about evidentialist faith, the way the New Apologist uses it, the Bible seems to be opposed to that. Um, and once again, I can point out some very specific examples where it seems to not be opposed to it. But I think uh, its grandest pronouncements are, in fact, opposed to that idea of faith. Yeah, so it's it's talking about another gospel. It's not talking about other religions in the first and foremost. It's talking about people that accept Jesus and they're teaching stuff against what Paul, the Apostle Paul taught. Um, they knew that the Apostle Paul was an apostle. Uh, he founded their church. He attested it with supernatural G-belief authenticating events, and they had properly basic beliefs in that regard. Then, yeah, you shouldn't be open to the evidence. Now, if we're going right. to factor in so, a non-biblical yeah, aspect... Yeah, you that hair way too thin, though, because it's not, it's not just about what so. Paul... It's not just about Paul saying, yeah, I'm going to protect the church. This is, I mentioned this as a parallel passage uh, because the very idea goes throughout the thread of uh, Judaism and Christianity uh, in, in all of its religious contexts. So, um, you know, it's, it's the same idea, whether, it's Paul, whether Paul is speaking of the church or whether um, uh, Moses is speaking of what's going on in the home or a prophet that comes up to you on the street. Or it, the idea is you don't get to listen to other people proposing other gods. You don't get to evaluate that evidence. And even if they bring the evidence, even if that evidence seems convincing to you, you should assume it's a trick from God testing you right so so here here's how and I, i've just read it again uh i've already i've read galatians twice and i've read this i i don't see what you're putting in there this is talking about people that have sufficient reason let's say that um if, if you want to include me let's say you don't even have 100 percent. these are people that have sufficient reason to know that christianity is true and that this angel is a false person you don't just go oh he did a miracle i'll just believe him you have to evaluate everything in terms of what is true overall. And I have sufficient knowledge that Christianity is true. It provides not just a miracle, but a G-belief authenticating event. Um, now, let, let's say if we're going to, for modern Christians, let's pretend I was convinced that Islam actually, maybe 55 to 60% had a G-belief authenticating event. Not just some random miracle, but a G-belief authenticating event. And then overall, when I assessed the religion total, it came out to less than 50% overall true, even though it has this one miracle from an angel, Gabriel going to Muhammad or something, or, or splitting the moon in half, whatever you want to say. Um, but Christianity, it also has these G-belief authenticating events, and I assess it overall, and overall, which is the state of these Galatian Christians, they've concluded Christianity is true, then they can say... I'm just dismissing that miracle. It seems like it's a supernatural miracle to me, but you're of the devil. You're you're a heretic. I can just dismiss you, and I'm going with what I know to be true overall: the gospel, the gospel of Christ. That's the way I right, read okay. this. That's fine. Then everyone uh, in every religion who worships every god can take that same idea, and then we just all dismiss each other. No one's actually evaluating evidence. Well, no, um, but they, they are, no, no one's evaluating evidence from other people. 
because they've evaluated their evidence is good enough. No, but I do so, evaluate the evidence from that Muslim miracle, but I also assess it in the context of, is it overall true? I do the positive and negative evidences and I, overall. I get that, but I, I think that that takes us far afield from the clear, to the extent that the Bible is ever clear on anything, message from the passages that I've given. And I, I think that it is a provides a death blow to the modern conception of evidentialist faith. Uh, it is It stands opposed to what evidentialists say uh, faith means. I don't, I don't, I think that, so in the first place, let's be, be honest, we're trying to collaborate. Yes, every, everything that I've just said about this isn't in the Bible. They don't understand about probabilities. They're not talking about in a context of assessing which religion is true, whereby God does biblically provide evidence. And attack. that's why Jesus did miracles. That's why there is a test between Eli Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So there's, there's precedent, but I'm extrapolating from that and giving my answer on this verse. But I'm reading it and I don't see... David's interpretation. I think that you are also reading something in, and I, on my end, I, I think that you're reading in the wrong thing, and into the text. Like I'm honest, I'm re I'm reading it again, and I'm trying to see what you're getting. But you're you're taking the fact that the Bible just deals with certainty. They're or they already have sufficient reason to be Christians. They're already Christians, and he's trying to say, don't be fooled by just some random miracle or, or someone who just comes to you and says, no, I've got the truth. I'm, I'm really yeah, Christ. These, first of all, these aren't random miracles. These are miracles that God has sent to test you. <laughs> so they're, um, uh, the, these are real miracles. We are sure. to presume. Sure. Okay. That's um, a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, so the, don't be fooled by testing miracles. Um, you know, you, you've got to do it right. You've got to have sufficient reason to know the, what the truth is and be able to reject it. That's wisdom. That Wisdom is the ability to discern, or as Paul says in the upcoming episode, the ability to discriminate. And, yeah. and that's what So I think, I, think part of, I think that part of what stands against what you're saying, though, is in the Deuter Deuteronomy passage where it doesn't just say, uh, don't listen. Ah, you know, we passed the test. That guy's, guy's a fraud. Get on out of here. It says kill him. Because God doesn't want that, um, so God empowers him to test you, and then he and then he says, "Now kill him," um, because he doesn't want his people uh, tested in that way for some for some reason. He doesn't he doesn't want uh, someone bringing word of other gods. He doesn't want you evaluating it. He he so he doesn't just want you to pass the test and not worship the other gods. He wants you to kill the person who proposes it. Right, because that's that's a sin on his part. God uses instruments, so he's it's still good that he's getting this test done, and they're they're passing it, um, and then following his laws to prevent any kind of influence like that again. Right. Um, so he doesn't want his people influenced by other evidences, by other. This is this is look. We're going in circles here. I think the audience can uh, hear. I I think I've got good reason to kind of scorn at least the modern apologists evidential view now there may be some type of evidential view that we could agree on but not the one that i'm that i'm hearing from the likes of william Lane craig for instance and and for that matter even the the likes of gary habermas uh and i like gary i don't like craig um but um 
Yeah, I, think, I shouldn't say that I don't yeah, like Greg. Um, I just, but, I, I think that I, you're reading, you're reading in, you're not taking a holistic perspective of scripture. It seems like you're just trying to rule out that God did provide further evidences and, and miracles to attest to his message. Um, I think that some passages do rule some things out. And I think a passage like Deuteronomy 13 kind of is one of those passages that rules certain possibilities out. Um, but it, it's providing... Know. Okay, so it's it's in the context of... The, the Israelites already were worshipping God, right? According to Deuteronomy, that's, that's the Christian perspective, that the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt and was getting the law from Moses, and he was writing down these laws for them. They already knew God existed. They saw all the evidence, all the G-Belief authenticating events, and they had sufficient knowledge that this God, the, the God called Yahweh, you know, the I Am, because we finally got his name. Abraham didn't have it, but now we got it. Uh, he is the one true God. We know it, and he's setting up these rules. Therefore, someone just coming in and doing ran, uh, doing testing miracles, uh, you're if you're attesting to something different than what I already know is true, you're a false thing. I'm going to put you to death and, and not let you influence any children or anything like that. Right, um, right. So I, I get that. <laughs> That's I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm saying that that is a hideous uh, thing, and it goes against the idea of evaluating other evidences uh, to claim your faith. Um, in in, in fact, I would say if I had to exegete this passage in Deuteronomy a little bit more deeply, uh, I would say that it is not, in fact, inveighing against the idea of other gods. It's agreeing that there are other gods. Uh, so this is not this is not a matter of um, you know you trying to figure out whether there are other gods. This is a matter of you figuring out which god you're going to serve. So Jehovah was their god, yeah, and it was a matter of fidelity. Uh, there may be some other god out there. There may be some other god more powerful out there. That didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. It's this is your god, and that's who you're going to stick with. Period. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a good point. They they didn't uh, see. They weren't atheists. Modern atheists. They didn't lack belief in these gods necessarily. There there is right. evidence that they viewed them as demonies, as demons posing as gods, and that sort of thing. So that. That's the way a lot of Jews, uh, even up to Jesus' day and that sort of thing, viewed the pagan gods and goddesses and that sort of thing. Um, but there, there were yeah, some Jews that's the that parallel, actually were... That's the parallel in Christ, uh, the, the Galatians passage, by the way, too, though. That's the parallel. It, it, it wasn't that uh, everything else, you know, all of the powers that you might see are, are false. You know, it could be an angel from heaven. Fine. Doesn't matter. Um... You've you've chosen a side, and that's the side you stick with. Yeah, so that so that supports me though, because it, the part that you're leaving out is that you've just randomly chosen a side. No, it's you have sufficient reason to choose your side, and you have insufficient reason to no. change loyalties. So that's why it's immoral no, for you to just be led astray by America. That's by where a, I think you're getting too philosophical. It'd be like a, an army. Uh, you know, I joined. Uh, the army, so it's the U.S. Army, but the French Army comes along and it turns out they're better. They got better weapons. They got better food. Uh, they might be a stronger country. If we uh, were to get in a fight, they might win. 
So maybe I say, okay, well, on closer evaluation, I think I want to join the French army. And the answer is no, you don't join the French army. It's this army or we'll kill you. Uh, this is this is your army right here. Um, and so it's, it's more along those lines. It's not along the lines of I've evaluated the evidence and found this to be better. It's this is your tribe. I think that's reading into it, though. I, I don't see that that's what's going on i get that that's a common well, skeptical no one, no one has no one has ever asked anyone to evaluate evidence so when jesus was talking to thomas he wasn't asking thomas to evaluate evidence he was asking thomas to stop evaluating evidence uh and he follows that whole thing up with better for those who believe without seeing than those who do see and jesus didn't say uh look thomas i appreciate your concern here's the evidence and i'm gonna leave some clues around for everyone else so that they can follow those evidential clues and have good evidence too. No, he said better those who believe without seeing uh, than those who believe with seeing. That's that's the Bible on faith. Uh, and I think that that is ultimately uh, well, consistent there. with Deuteronomy and, and Galatians. Yeah, but you assume that means they don't have sufficient reason. They have properly basic beliefs. That's evidence. That's why they that's right, why the so Christians believe. They also you, have... You can see that I am ignoring the whole... Every time you mention a properly basic belief, you can kind of see the, the red light going with me where I'm just... Yeah, I'm going to ignore that. Okay, um, but that's your fault and your problem. Um, <laughs> sure. Secondly, they also had objective evidences. The, the apostles did miracles to attest... G believe authenticating events to it test to the truth of their message um and then they evaluated it overall to see yes i believe this is true this is in fact true they're not just randomly choosing to become christians they're being convicted of its truth via the so where does where does that leave us ultimately though um because we're i I don't want the audience to forget this is not actually an adversarial discussion. Yeah. <laughs> I, am not, I am I am actually pull, pulling my punches quite a bit because I'm not trying to um, be adversarial here. I am just trying to show why um, the way you're using faith doesn't work with the way I and I think most people use faith. And even the way it's used in some parts of the Bible don't seem to jive with the way other parts of the Bible seem to use it. And so... Uh, where does that leave us? So if we if we pursued my thesis to its logical conclusion, what I would say is, okay, if anything, this discussion shows that we shouldn't use faith. We should use some other word. Um, now, we had an interesting discussion before the show. Would you mind if I inserted some of that in, in here right now? Um, because I, I think it would help the audience see. I don't remember it, but I, I don't mind. Okay. Go ahead, yeah. All right, good. So I, I think it'll help the audience see a, a little bit of of where our differences lie and where the problem is. Oh, okay. It, it was actually a good discussion. Yeah. So um, it's a matter of interpretation and translation. Uh, and I know that those are boring subjects, but bear me out. Um, you said in the discussion, well, Christians can't give up the word faith because faith, faith is a biblical word. And I said, no, it's not. Faith is not a biblical word at all. And so we had some discussion around that, and here's what we meant. Uh, you're looking at your Bible and your modern translations, you're seeing the word faith. And I'm looking at the same Bibles and modern, modern translations. I'm saying that there are a lot of words and ideas and concepts where the translators had a religious bent and used the word faith where it was not. So faith is a, an English word that we invented. 
and it's a religious word that we have plastered on top of uh, what the what the biblical writer said. No Hebrew, Greek, or Latin writer ever used the word faith. Okay, they used other words, and we translated and interpreted them as faith. So, in that sense, faith is not a biblical word. It is a religious concept that we have thrown on top of a bunch of biblical words. And I think that we can just as easily take it off of those biblical words and use other words that are better translated, more directly translated. So um, I, for, for this reason, I think that we do have uh, not only a reason to get rid of the word faith, we have uh, kind of a logical precedence to get rid of the word faith when we acknowledge that we invented it and started using it as a, a religious type dogma in the first place. Uh, we put a lot of, loaded up a lot of baggage in it and then we and then we just stuck it in the Bible in various places that were convenient. So uh, you had some uh, rebuttals that we were almost to come to some kind of agreement on that earlier in the show. So uh, did you want to comment on that? Um, yeah, so, so I, I agree that the word faith can and has been misused or has been used in incomplete ways um possibly even by myself uh at times right um because with the mystic thing i would have i would have denied that there's a mystic element to faith until i understood and you clarified what you meant by that um so there's even confusion on even normal terms so this is just a part of semantics it's a part of doing definitions, and I don't think we, we should abandon. This is the part I disagree with. I, I will not be abandoning the word faith. It's a proper word. It's an English word. It makes it makes sense. We have some understanding of what it means, just like we have some understanding of what love is or, or what other words mean. Um, and just because there people use a word wrongly, that doesn't mean that the word itself should be abandoned. It means that we should work harder to be clearer and more consistent in the way we're using that word. Um, so that that's the way I see it. I, I don't think we should be hacking out words from the dictionary, English words from the dictionary, just because there are some elements that are problematic to it. Um, but I do agree with David's point that we got to be careful. Are we causing confusion with the use of this word? Um, are we are we using it in ways that contradict each other, which I don't think we have. And, and David provided his one example where he thinks it, it is, um, and I'm sure he has others. But um, yeah, it, it's a call for us to improve the clarity um, and and uh, define exactly more firmly what aspects are entailed. But when we use that word, it, it's not a call to just oh, get rid of that word because you're going to have the same issue. If we just say trust, what, what does trust mean? Can you give me a set of necessary sufficient conditions? And oh, I caught you here. This doesn't make sense either. The answer isn't to abandon English words. The, the answer is to work on, improve, and clarify our understanding of what we mean by that word. Uh, so yeah. Okay, so um, you mentioned trust, and I, I it wasn't in my notes, and I honestly meant to talk about it. So can I digress uh, for just a moment and do a couple of minutes on trust? Yeah, sure. In a person, or okay. in the, or both, or okay. Yeah, let's let's do trust in a person okay. here because uh, this is 
the way Justin largely uses it, and so a lot of our audience is familiar with um, how Justin uses it. I think uh, his way of using it is not uncommon, especially among new apologists. Um, so um, trust in a person. So we're not asking you to you know, believe propositions. We're asking you to believe in the one making the propositions. That's kind of uh, the move. So, uh, yeah, we can't prove that heaven exists. But Jesus talked about heaven, and you can trust Jesus. And so, so therefore, you have faith in the idea of heaven. Well, the faith is you trust Jesus. You, you see the move there. So um, I would argue, though, that even if we try to use that definition of trust, it still doesn't work. You're still, at the end of the day, asking someone to believe a thing that they do not have sufficient evidence for. Um, and all you have to do is just kind of break down how we use trust in other, in other terms. If I just met you on the street um, and I said, look, give me all of your money, access to all of your bank accounts, uh, and I will double it within a week. Uh, and you would reject that. Uh, I hope. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if my rebuttal was, well, just trust me. You would, you would reject that on the basis that I have done nothing to earn your trust. And even if you trusted me, you know, say, not to murder you, hmm. I, haven't tr I haven't earned your trust that I can actually do what I say that I've done with regard to your money. So trusting me even in one thing doesn't mean that you trust everything that I say. And so how do we build trust? Well, trust is a relationship that's built over time. We would never say trust this person that you don't know. Trust this person that you never met. Trust this person that you've received some kind of shady information about and you don't like what you heard about him so far. Right? Those, those are not things that uh, we base trust on. And yet when it comes to Jesus, that is exactly what we are saying to people. Because guess what? I never met this guy. Uh, I don't have a relationship with this guy. Um, I have read things that are attributed to him uh, that, that he supposedly said, and I think they're nutball. So I don't have any reason to trust him on that basis. And yet I'm told, well, you have to trust him. Um, so even trust in that way doesn't make sense. Um, I, you know... I think even Christians who think they have a relationship with Jesus probably don't have sufficient reason to trust him the way they're talking about. Uh, so I, I think even if you even if you allow the evidentialists to shift the the goalpost a bit, they still land in a place uh, that doesn't work. Okay, so let me say this then: I do, as a Christian, so you do know at least one uh, Christian that I do have sufficient reason to trust in the person of Jesus, to fulfill his promises, to redeem me, and that sort of thing. Um, and in the first place, Christians do speak of building this trust over time, just in the exact same way um, as others. Um, you know, they have relations relationship with Jesus for years, and he confirms himself over and over again in various ways. Um, but is it necessary? Yeah, but those people jump into Christianity before that relationship is built. So it's like, well, I'm going to marry you, and then I'll try to get to know you. Right. And that's 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 the wrong way around. Right. Um, so here, here's the second part. They also have sufficient reason to marry him, uh, to trust this person and marry him in the first place. 
through the various evidences, G-Belief authenticating events and, and that sort of thing, which include the PVBs, I'll just stick with the G-Belief authenticating events because you want to, you know, like the PVBs. But the point is they have, in one way or another, they do have sufficient evidence to trust. If I know, if I have knowledge that someone's morally perfect, yeah, I, I trust him. I don't need him to prove it right away because he's already proven that he's morally perfect. So I know for a fact he will um, fulfill his promises. And that, that's what the verse is talking about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I have no evidence that the sun is going to sure. rise tomorrow. Well, if you look at the average kind of... It, huh? You're part of an evangelistic church, a um, uh, what, would, what would be call a part of evangelicalism I think mm -hmm. um, and you understand something about the evangelical method um, and so when when a person a Christian well, there's Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or you know vanilla guard variety mainline Christians you start talking to someone about Jesus they they often are trying to do what in sales we call a one call close Oh goodness! Oh, my, where my, you know? Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you to Jesus, and by the end of this conversation, I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk you in the water. Uh, just um, just just for the audience' sake, uh, for for my pastor's sake, he he would punch David in the face right now if he called if for calling him a salesman. He hates that. He's like, we are not salesmen. Uh, he despises evangelical, like you know, um, Josh McDowell he, or others have like the four spiritual laws. He's this is this is salesman trash from Satan. The heck with this. So, I, I do want to clarify for his benefit. That's what all salesmen say. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, but just for his benefit, yeah, he he would take an issue with being called a salesman. Yeah, I, I see nothing wrong with trying to, as long as you're not just trying to sell yeah. them something bad. Like, if, yeah. All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> go go ahead if you want. You know, is this a sales call? No. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a sales call. Okay. All right. So um, that's like this is evangelism. They're trying to close a sale. Um, now, it's one thing for me as a salesperson to try to close a sale in one call because I can get enough sufficient information out to the person uh, so that they can sufficiently trust me and sufficiently trust the product and sufficiently weigh the risk so that, you know, if worse comes to worse, uh, life isn't over for them and they've got a pretty good chance of being benefited by it. So, there are some things where a one call close makes sense, but you're talking about a trust relation in a person. There is no such thing as a one call close, well-founded trust relationship. So you're, you're asking a stranger who is unchurched and unJesused to listen to you, uh, make these propositions, and then in a very short period of time, maybe the, over the course of a week-long discussion, you want to baptize him. That's not long enough to trust, to build trust. That's just long enough to buy into some propositional ideas. But that is that does not trust make. So in the first place, um, that's why there, there are standards to ensure that someone actually does have a proper understanding. My, my church, for example, has a strict policy. You have to go through three interviews with multiple people, and you have to wait at least a month. Um, before be, we're not just looking to get numbers and, and oh you're a Christian you just say you're a Christian okay you can be baptized we also encourage people before they even start talking about okay I want to get baptized and, and become a member of the, the church we say um, well 
wait. Let's let's have a couple months where you can listen to the doctrine and that sort of thing. We also encourage. This isn't a standard, but we encourage them to wait like a year um, if they're a new convert, at least like wait a year, listen to the messages and and that sort of thing before you make this commitment to being a member of, of our church or, or that sort of thing. So it, it's not this necessarily the case that everyone just oh let, let's get the numbers oh you're a christian great get baptized oh you're a christian we we do take efforts to try and ensure that they are actually a true christian and i think that churches sh- should make those efforts however i um i have no problem with yeah but don't you acknowledge some... the difference though between intellectual assent of uh I'm sorry, I lost you all together. Don't you recognize the difference between intellectual assent of propositions and trusting a person? Because this is this is yes. the kind of difference that the new apologist is trying to make. This is the this is the move. So it's less about you know whether you have all of the right propositions and more about whether you have an actual relationship. That's true. Yeah. Um, but having the proper relationship entails these propositions. That's why you can't have one without the other. Um, you know, big trusted. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So you can you can have wrong. You can't have wrong propositions and a relationship with Jesus. Right, because you're you're trusting his character trait based on salvation history, what he's done. He he died and rose for my sins, and on this basis, I trust that he's going to do the same for me. He paid for my sins, and he's going to raise me up in a resurrection body just like his. Um, as the first fruits and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I see them. So I, I think I think there's a lot that we can get into in the in the comments on there. I, I, so I'm I'm going to do the audience a favor and not prolong hmm. prolong it. But there's a lot of challenge that I could offer there. Um, you know, by so in the denomination I came from, for instance, we used to uh, one of the things that uh, we debated vigorously within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, is how much does a person have to know in order to be baptized in a saving way? Hmm. Um, and so what, what all could a person be wrong about and still have a right baptism? And it, it sounds like you're, you're getting dangerously near that idea of, well, you've got to have the right propositional truths in order to have a relationship with Jesus. And uh, the, the more conservative of us believe that you had to have the right propositional truths about a lot more things than the more liberal of us. Okay, uh, you, you're scaring me there. I thought you were going to be contradicting yourself. It sounded like you were going to be saying, oh, and, and we concluded you don't need practically nothing. But, yeah, so I do... No, but, uh, there, but there are some, in the, some among them who did conclude that. You needed practically nothing, and then on hmm. the other end, you need pretty much everything. Yeah. And if, if you got one thing wrong, your baptism is not uh, worth spit because you, you don't have the right relationship with the true Jesus. Yeah, So I, and I think that's, that's why we need to be very careful. Well, how do we define what Christianity proper is? We, we've gone back and forth on that. What, what are the minimal set of propositions that qualify you to, to be considered a true Christian and, and someone who actually has placed your faith in, in Jesus? And... I would, I would definitely say his divine nature and his uh, death and resurrection from the dead for our sins, the, these are the basis on which we trust Jesus as a person, as a character. 
Um, it, it's, you know, we're assenting to what he's done for us and what he promises to do for us in the future. So, yeah, that's that. I think that's at the very least the minimal. So on the, go ahead. On the board this last week, uh, and on the podcast, unbelievable. There was this idea of um, the penal substitutionary atonement. Um, you know, are you are you trusting in the proper atonement? And some said, well, if you're if you don't have the right understanding about that, then you have the wrong idea of uh, the atonement that you're supposedly believing, and so you don't, in fact, have a relationship with Jesus uh, if you're accepting him without accepting. Uh, the, the atonement that he offers and others said well no that's really a complicated issue and you don't have to understand that and you can have a proper relationship with Jesus um, where that line is have no idea but it seems to be split um, there so right. I mean yeah. are you really trusting Jesus if you aren't trusting the penal part of the substitutionary atonement uh, I don't know I'm, a, I'm an outsider it's, it's um that's that's not my game to play. Right. I'm just saying and I would that say. if you're talking, if you're, if all of this is bound up in your idea of faith and trust and evidence uh, and all that, then I don't know what you're talking about, and uh, I can't have a proper conversation. Now you say, well, we just need to be more careful about defining our terms. I I like that idea, but I think it's impractical because once again, Christians use words like faith two or three different ways in one speech. So, you know, you might give me a couple of paragraphs of faith and give me two or three different usages of it while using the same word. Uh, you can't predefine that before you start talking every time, um, which is, a, again, one of the reasons why I just call on you to, instead of using faith, um, break it down to what you mean in each given in instance. Uh, yeah, you already know my take. You want me to say it again? I'll just say, yeah, I, I think that's wrong. I think I like, as everyone knows in our audience, I like little helpful labels. Everyone, you know, you you think that I'm trying to confuse the audience with terms, but I, I think that these are helpful. They, they aid understanding. Even if people don't know what it is at first, great. You can latch on to something. Here's a weird word. I'm going to memorize this and look it up. Or listen to Dale define it. Oh, that's what that weird word is. It, it sticks in their brain. I, I think it's helpful to use these these terms. I like using technical terms. and Right, but I don't actually have a problem. At, I don't have a problem with using... I don't, problem, I don't have a problem with using jargon that clarifies. Most jargon does not clarify. I'm accusing faith of being jargon that does not clarify. So it is... It, rather than clarifying confusion, it creates confusion. And I think that the reason that Christians insist on using it, even though the people are talking to are saying, I'm confused, is because uh, they're smuggling other baggage in with it. So while a person might say, oh no, faith just means trust, they're also smuggling a mystical baggage in it. Oh no, faith just means evaluating the evidence, but they're also smuggling baggage in it where it uh, might stand opposed to human reason. And it's that other baggage that they want to bring in there. And that's why they use the word faith, which covers up some of that stuff, as opposed to just saying trust in the evidence. Yeah. Because you're not just saying trust in the evidence. You're saying that plus this other thing. 
No, we, we are saying just trust in the evidence. The mystic element is complementary to reason. It uses reason. It's not contradictory to it. You just smuggle okay, that so in. Okay, when so when a, when a scientist says trust in the evidence, they're not talking about a, comp- a mystic component. Sure they are. They when a Christian says trust in the evidence, they are talking about a mystic component. No, they, they are talking about a mystical component. They just don't know it. <laughs> it depends what scientist so, you're talking about too, right? But if you're well, talking scientists about scientists actually doing good science. <laughs> they're using they're using logical inference, which is above and beyond. Um, this is a mystical component. Logic is a mystical thing that undergirds scientific methodology, right? The, you can't answer as a scientist, answer David Hume's objection about the problems with induction and that sort of thing. This is just you using a mystical thing of, we'll just trust it, it seems to work, and, and that sort of thing, and we'll just go with it. No, you, you can't do that if you're just going to deny any mystical elements in the broader sense of the word that you're using it. It, it seems like all you want to do is, oh great, a, a soul, I can just dismiss that as magic, and, and that's mystic. You're being inconsistent, I think, because there are mystical elements in well, the broader but I, sense. I granted you a way of using faith. I, no, I granted you a way earlier of using faith uh, in your dualistic way that is compatible with my physicalist way. But that's still not enough. It, this, is, this is what I'm saying. There's, there's more baggage that, that you want to pack into the faith suitcase Okay, there's a holy, um, there's a holy spirit. If that's, if that, yeah, a holy spirit with a wrench, um, a metaphysical wrench, uh, that is above and beyond, correct. But that's not inconsistent with reason. Okay, well, it makes it very hard for us to have a similar conversation. If I say I believe something and you say you believe something, we're not saying the same thing. Right. So I, I guess I would need to prove that my beliefs are true with with someone like you but that's not an issue for defining faith if i'm just defining my terms what you're on the street and you're like what do you mean by faith oh well this is what we mean let's take the effort let's actually take the effort to define it that's that's a fault of christians if they don't carry around a list of questions if you're on the street evangelizing you should have okay, a list of well so in an attempt in an attempt to kind of wrap this up it makes a I, uh, okay, I don't hear what you're saying. So, by the way, I'm not trying to talk over uh, Dale, and Dale's not trying to talk over me. There are times when we cut out. Yeah. Yeah, so there are times when we cut out on each other, and I'm sorry about that. So in an attempt to kind of wrap this up and see, uh, give ourselves a score, the idea was to see if we couldn't come up with some type of uh, agreement on this word or how to use it or whether to use it. Uh, so how have we done? So I would say uh, we're not really much closer own <laughs> own any kind of agreement and I have tried very hard <laughs> I have uh, I have granted you know what concessions I could I think that Dale has tried to grant some concessions but I think at the end of the day uh, there are things that the Christian wants to include with the word that other people don't want to include with the word and so they find it more convenient to use faith it is a little bit like the way we use morality you can consider this my closing argument too if you like it's a little bit uh, like the way we use morality when the secularist uses morality and the Christian uses morality, they're not talking about the same thing at all. When we talk about doing good, we are not talking about the same thing at all. You only think we are, but you are so wrong. When the secularist talks about morality, they are talking about pro-social behavior. When the Christian talks about morality, they're talking about what pleases their God. 
those two things do not necessarily meet. They can, in fact, stand directly opposed to one another. We are not talking about the same stuff. And the same is true with faith. If, if a secularist even uses that term, which we tend not to, uh, proving that you can, in fact, spend your life largely not using the word, um, we're talking about something very different than when the Christian uses the term faith. And the Christian wants to use that term because they load it up with some special mystical meanings, just like they do with morality, and they don't want to let it go. And so I don't know how we bridge that gap. The only thing I can think of is advice to the secularist in this case, which is if you're going to have a conversation with a Christian and they start using faith-type language, you need to stop them before they finish their sentence and say, wait a minute, what did you mean by that? And, and, hold, them, and hold them to the fire. And not, don't do it just once. Do it every time because they might mean something the second time they use it, uh, something different the second time they use it than they did the first time they used it. So I, I don't know how to get past that point. And uh, so I'm going to call this experiment a pleasant failure. Uh, Dale? Okay. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I am sorry that you interpreted the combo that way. Um, I was, for my part, I was trying to see if I could come up uh, with probing questions about your aspects and see if we could reach agreement, but I guess it wasn't, didn't come across that way. Um, yeah, so I think we did reach agreement on... No, it did come across that way. I, I did not impuse your motives. Your, your motives are as pure as mine. Gotcha, yeah, but but still, I, I was wanting to get, I was hoping for some results, and here i think that there were a couple so number one mystic faith this was something i went into totally disagreeing with david based on a misunderstanding of what he meant and we got clarification of his terms uh of what he meant and we we reached a consensus yeah he, he's right there is a quote-unquote mystic or external supernatural element for for one to be able to gain faith so that is a an associated aspect that's a success to me um, I think we also agreed on the action-based faith. This is an associated aspect of faith entails that there is obedient action. And I don't think we really disagreed at all about that too much. Um, we, the thing that we mostly disagreed on, which is, uh, the notion of evidence-based faith. And it came down to David had his argument that Evidence-based faith is great. My my definition of how I understand it is logical. It makes perfect sense, but it potentially contradicts Bible verses in Galatians and in Deuteronomy. Um, And I gave sort of my take on, and I I want to admit this, despite, I, I don't believe David, I think he's reading something into the text. And I think that my interpretation is also reading something into the text, but it it makes sense of scripture as a whole, given that God does do these things. But I can agree with you on this much, David, that at face value, something like the, that Deuteronomy text is something that requires explanation, because at face value, it does appear to be at odds with my notion of being a real seeker uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I just think that there are ways of covering that. So, so that's one area where we're going to disagree. I, I do think that an evidence-based faith or, or trust based on the evidence is a part of the definition of Christian faith. Um, trust in the person. Um, 
I think we I think we more or less agreed on that as well. Um, we just had one little technicality. Does trust in a person also entail at least some uh, intellectual assent to propositions? And I, I think that there it does. Um, whereas maybe uh, some people that some Christians disagree with this. Um, I, I don't think that makes sense. It, it just by the nature of trusting in someone, propositions are necessarily entailed in that. So, yeah, I think that summarizes our, our combo. Anything I missed, David? Or? Uh, the trust in the person thing. I just hmm. want to clarify that a little bit. Um, just, let me ask you a question. So, do you believe that um, if you trust a person, let's say... Um, Let's say everyone is taking advantage of you uh, in your in your life, but a person comes along and they earn your trust in that they don't take advantage of you and that they actually take you in and they help you uh, financially or whatever. Uh, so now you trust that person. Does that mean that you have to uh, believe everything that they say about every uh, issue? No. Okay, so... I don't understand how trust in Jesus, you know, that he loves us and he wants to save us, means that we also have to believe, uh, you know, in a heaven or hell. Oh, well, I'm, I'm saying that with the case of your example, there certain propositions are necessarily entailed. If I'm trusting you oh, but, on the basis you of... See, no, but let, I'm trusting you not to hurt me. I'm, I'm not trusting you... You know, but that's a proposition, right? It's a proposition, David won't hurt me because I have the evidence. I'm trusting based on the evidence that you've proven to be trustworthy. You've never hurt me all this time like everyone else has. So therefore, I trust the proposition and intellectually assent to the fact that tomorrow morning you're not going to beat the living uh, heck out of me. Um, sure. Okay. But that doesn't mean that I know anything about money. Right. Yeah, you, you could be a terrible financial advisor, even if you have my best interests at heart. Um, right. So that's that's why you need to look at what propositions are entailed um, by certain things. So it, Jesus is worthy of trust because Christianity proper has been proven to be true. He's a morally perfect God, to whatever degree you've proven. And the Bible is sufficiently attached. And I have my method of determining what are the essential doctrines, what what he tells me are essential for me to be saved, either explicitly or implicitly, from the Protestant Bible itself. Um, and on this basis, yeah, I, I trust those propositions, because to do otherwise would cause undue confusion. And yeah, that's part of that's part of my evidence that my trust is based on. Sure. Is so that, that confusing? That just feels but yeah, it feels a little like special pleading to me, to be honest, because what you're saying is that with Jesus, it's an all-encompassing trust. But you would acknowledge that with no. humans, it's not an all-encompassing trust. I, I don't uh, trust Jesus, uh, earth, earthly Jesus, about teaching me about biology or uh, geology. Um, he gets little facts wrong, uh, possibly. Yeah, but you've, you've given Jesus this extra power because he's not earthly Jesus, he's God Jesus. Yeah, but I've I've argued that's part of the evidence in the background. That's right. part of you proving right. to be trustworthy, um, right? So I I'm saying on that I have sufficient evidence to say yeah, Christianity is true. The Bible's sufficiently attached, and minimally, 
the Bible wouldn't lie about these facts because to do that would cause undue confusion. And I have a logical argument that says God can't cause undue confusion. Um, therefore, I can at least take these propositions as true. As to the size of a mustard seed, you're out to lunch. I, I don't necessarily have to trust you. And, and I'm not saying that's an error. Remember, I, I think that there's a way to interpret that as not being an error. But worst case, let's pretend it is an error. Great. I, I don't trust Jesus on botany, but... Right, right. I get that. It's... Special pleading to you, okay. I, I guess I just right. don't I understand. get that, but that's that's an, that's what I call an all-encompassing trust. So you've 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 found a way to say, yeah, trust in Jesus is all-encompassing, so you can trust everything. But there's no way to to apply that kind of trust to anyone else. Um, and so, yeah, I do call that special pleading. I mean, you can say I trust Jesus to save me, but he was lousy on money. You won't. You don't allow that. Um, well, I, I don't whereas I could say I trust the lifeguard to save me, but I, but I wouldn't trust his financial advice. So for Jesus, it's more of an all-encompassing thing because he's God, he's a morally perfect being, he's all-knowing, and so that kind of trust is different. And sure, you're also yeah. kind of suggesting that you can develop that kind of trust in Jesus a lot faster than you can develop that trust with a human somehow. Um, because we don't put that kind of trust in humans uh, on you know overnight, and yet many Christians put that kind of trust in Jesus overnight just because they were at a youth camp when they were having some teen angst, and they were singing you know uh, it only takes a spark for three hours, and then they felt something and they trusted in Jesus. Well, that, that, that's okay somehow. Well, I, I could potentially put my trust in a person instantly. If, if God reveals to me that David is trustworthy and will never steal my money, I, I could write then and there. I could. <laughs> so if, if God reveals, you see how that, that, but, that plead is a little bit special. But it's not, it's not <laughs> special pleading because it's part of God's definition, right? God, if, someone, if you were morally perfect, I could instantly right, trust you. Right. If I knew, right. look, I don't mean to, I don't mean to redebate it. I'm just pointing out that when you talk about trust in Jesus, when Christians are talking about trust in Jesus, they're talking about a different kind of trust in a person no. than what everybody else is talking about when they talk about trust in a person. Okay. It's not the same thing. No, wrong. It's total. That's totally wrong. It's exactly the same thing. It's just the surrounding facts are different. It's like it's like me saying I trust you differently than a, a lion. A lion will eat eat my rumps and kill me. Um, I don't trust a lion. Would not eat your what? Would, would eat my. <laughs> would eat my. Your rumps. I'm trying not to swear. I'm, I'm, yeah, would I mean, eat my. You mean your? You mean your buttocks? Your... <laughs> <laughs> a lion would eat me. Let's leave it at that. Um, I don't trust a lion in the same way I trust human beings, um, or, or specific human beings like you. I, I take into effect the inherent differences in the beings or objects of my trust and apportion trust accordingly if, if right but but you you trust me based on my nature and because you think that jesus has a different nature you put a different kind of trust in him so Correct. those from the outside that looks like special pleading you are pleading for us to trust jesus in a way uh that we would not trust other people yeah, so that's why you would need sufficient reason to trust. Okay. And that's all I was pointing out there. Uh, okay. you, you may carry on yeah. your closing statement and uh, and close us out. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, so that's great. That's another basis of agreement. That um, yeah, I've always said that. So I don't know how it 
that could have been interpreted differently. So yeah, you need to have sufficient reason in whatever way that comes about to to know uh, that God is worthy of trust. Um, this is the whole point of the evil God challenge and that, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, no, I think I was finished my, my closing statement. Um, yeah, the, the other difference is I would say that I don't have sufficient reason and Dale would say that I do have sufficient reason. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't actually. Um, I, I, I don't think that you secretly, well, you don't consciously have sufficient reason. I, I don't believe that you actually believe in God and just don't, you know, like you, you personally have a properly based belief and you're lying about it. I don't believe that. I think that you've, you lack that because your faculties have been so damaged and you've contributed to that damage over the years and that sort of thing by various choices and that. So I, I'm not saying that you're deliberately lying. Uh, that you know you have sufficient evidence and well that's progress <laughs> but but that go back if you listen. stop right there okay that would be progress and, and ending on that note it's not actually progress i've said the same go back and listen to the shows i've said the exact same thing all the time it's, I, i've always said that so and it's in the shows so yeah please thank god we've cleared that up uh david is not a deliberate liar when it comes to him. I got it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end. I'm, that, that's I'm a good damaged. note. It's, it's that yeah. spiritual detector in my amygdala, and I'm just I'm just waiting on the spirit to come along with a wrench and fix it. That's all. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, you, on your end, it is your fault um, for not being open to that. You, you haven't, I don't believe you're putting yourself, you're not a real seeker. You're not putting yourself in a open position for the Holy Spirit uh, to come in and do his work, you, you've got a sign saying "close shop, get lost" or, or something. Like I, I think you need to work on being a real seeker, and then it's up to God to. Oh no, no, no! You're wrong. I'm a, I'm a Deuteronomy 13 seeker. You see, I, I have sufficient evidence for the things I do believe, and I refuse. Hmm to let the prophet of some other god come along and give me evidence because it's a test so you believe in god that's awesome that's progress <laughs> that's you believe in some kind of god there's a chance you could go to heaven now um <laughs> no not that heaven be a different heaven oh, okay god um all right yeah. look close us out give give uh, give our audience a pee break they've they've suffered enough all right. Um, so yeah, I think that was a. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I think that there were some good points um, brought up by both sides. Um, I think we provided some measure of clarity. At the very least, you can point and go, "Here's an element. Uh, here's an aspect of what we mean when we say faith," and it it could inspire you to to look further on your own and come up with a crystallized version. So if if you get cornered by these. Uh, evil skeptics trying to test you on what faith means you can give them uh here's what i mean i looked it up so here's what we mean um yeah i uh, hope you guys enjoyed okay and uh next week there will be no next week <laughs> because this is just a special summer uh episode and so uh consider this a break until season two starts hopefully we will work out some of the audio issues in season two we wanted we wanted to throw this into the feed give uh, you a little bit of something to chew on and so until next time thank you and bye-bye <laughs>